This is ContraZoom, where we go back and forth about film. I'm your host, Dakota Arsenault, and today we are going to bring back a subject matter that we recently talked about a few episodes ago, and that is the streaming service Disney+. Plus. Now, if you remember, uh, not too long ago, we did a Marvel Cinematic Universe recap where we talked about what was happening with the movies, what's coming up with the next phases, what's happening with all these new TV shows, and it was going to be so much more than that, including other Disney Plus stuff, but we ran out of time time so it was only fair to everyone if I brought back Sammy Felchenfeld to talk some more Disney Plus so welcome Sammy. I'm glad to hear to be here and as always talk about Disney at every opportunity. Yes I, I really feel that we're basically doing this just so you can inform me of all the happenings of Disney. Yeah this is actually how you learn. It really is I, I have no idea what's going on so we're just gonna move the show over to you right now. Thanks, Dakota. It's been nice to have you on this series. We'll see you again in a few episodes. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be very curious to see what you did. Um, so yeah, like I like I just mentioned, uh, the last episode that we did, uh, sort of talking about this, we were talking about uh, what was happening with Marvel, and uh, and to relate it more into this episode, we were talking about all the different shows that was happening. So you had the upcoming. Falcon and Winter Soldier, WandaVision, Loki, What If, Hawkeye, Miss Marvel, Moon Knight, She-Hulk, and possibly even more. And these are, are planning to be released, you know, early 2020 and onwards. We really only have a somewhat of a, a soft schedule for the next year and a bit, but they have plans to do so much more than that. So I wouldn't be surprised if in the next little while we get some more uh, concrete dates and even... Uh, more shows being announced that we don't even know about yet specifically in this marvel world because as it keeps going uh and it keeps expanding and we find out how many people end up subscribing to disney plus wouldn't be shocking at all to see them adding more to the slate and one of the things i will just kind of put out there and i, I don't remember if we talked about it last time but what disney is doing that a lot of other streamers aren't doing is that they are releasing shows they're not releasing shows like a season all at once um, and they're also not doing once a week. So uh, The Mandalorian, which we'll talk about, for instance, has it's uh, it's an eight episode season over about a six and a half week time period. It's very weird. So we'll talk about that a little bit more. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but to sort of bring it back to the actual Disney Plus itself, um, this is a service that is going to be launching very shortly after this show comes out on November 12th. So if you're hearing this, it's about a week before the launch happens. And it seems like every day there's new news about what is going on. So do you want to sort of lead through some of maybe the key points as far as the pricing structure and what the interface is going to look like? For sure. So right off the bat, um, if you don't already know that Disney Plus is coming November 12th, other than Dakota saying it, then that it, it, you probably aren't going to listen to this episode and be like, I've never heard of this thing. Um, so Canada is very lucky that we're getting Disney Plus at the same time as the US and the Netherlands. Um, much of the rest of the world, basically every few weeks, new countries will be added. Uh, but it is, I will admit, it's quite rare for Canada to get, the, get a new streaming service right away. Um, so I'm grateful for that for sure. So um, basics of what to expect. It's, the interface is going to be very similar to Netflix um, and the Amazon Prime video. Uh, so very much because kind of big blocky images. It's divided into multiple interfaces. If you want to focus on Pixar, you want to focus on Star Wars, that sort of thing. Um, but the key thing um, for most people, and if people are still thinking about it, is the price. So in the States, it is quite inexpensive at $7. Um, and here it is $9, which in my mind is still relatively good. Um, my Netflix subscription is now 13, I think, or more a month. Um, but the other thing that Disney Plus is doing that a lot of the other companies don't do, at least in Canada, is a yearly subscription. So in, it's going to be $90 for the year um, instead of, uh, you basically save two months. You're paying for 10 months worth at once. Um, so that is definitely a big plus, but uh, <laughs> Disney Plus, good joke. Um, but, the, but the other thing I will say, though, and a lot of people, especially a lot of media has been kind of harping on this, is that um, they're, what they're going to have, especially at launch, isn't quite as uh, robust as some other um, services. But I'm just going to be straight up and say it is that I don't know more than half the stuff on Netflix. I know they have a lot of originals. I do watch a lot of their originals and a lot of their stuff. But in all reality, Disney Plus is starting with sort of 
almost everything is a known uh, is a known quantity. You're gonna, everyone's going to have a sense of what's on there or something they saw as a kid or their parents saw saw as a kid. Um, and the, at the end of the day, it's mostly Disney, and that's that's a big thing. Is that Fox? It, other than um, basically uh, a bunch of Marvel properties that were owned by Fox, such as um, the TV shows from the '90s. Um, around X-Men and The Simpsons, the entirety of The Symptoms, symptoms uh, up until I think last season is on uh, Disney+. Plus. There's very little other Fox stuff. So even their, their, big, their big movies from the early studio days aren't going to be on there yet. But there is the assumption that it, it will get there. For me, though, as a huge Disney fan, there's a lot of, um, there, there are a lot of things that are going to draw me in. Uh, the original DuckTales series, a lot of the really weird movies they made in the 60s, 70s, and early 80s where no one really knew what they were doing. Um, those types of things that kind of oddities uh, in the Disney catalog are going to make it through. So that, for me, that's something that's interesting. The other big thing that I, I definitely am going to mention um, is uh, if you have an Amazon device, um, so Fire TV or something like that, it's pretty much the only um, ecosystem that Disney Plus won't, won't work on, but it'll work on everything else. So most game consoles, Roku, Chromecast, Android TV, obviously PCs and Macs, um, and, and Apple TV as well. And the last thing that I think is probably the most interesting is that uh, if something is available in 4K Ultra HD with the you know Dolby Vision, the HDR, Dolby Atmos, all that stuff, it will be um, it will, will be an option with no extra charge on Disney Plus. And nearly every other streamer that offers 4K, it's always an upcharge. So that's that's a good play on Disney's part for sure. Now I want to circle back to a few different points that you had mentioned, and we, we could kind of discuss it a little bit further. I think the first one is uh, why is it not compatible with Amazon? Is it just because they're still working out the kinks for that, haven't quite able to embed that into their uh, their coding, or is there a specific reason behind it? My understanding, uh, there's been a lot of talk about it because when when Disney announced the platforms, it was a glaring omission, um, especially because Amazon Fire TV in particular is used quite a lot. Um, apparently, it has something to do with ad revenue and the way uh, the way Amazon does ads and the way Disney is included or not included in that. That's the rumor. Um, for all we know, it could just be Bob Iger and Jeff Bezos had a golf game and Jeff Bezos won and Bob Iger was mad and said Disney Plus won't be on Amazon devices. <laughs> so who knows? Um, I think in the reality, they'll be on there within the course of a year. Just because like even even Apple TV Plus, which comes out on uh, on November 1st, um, which predates this by a couple weeks, that's going to be available on basically everything, including Google's devices and Amazon devices. So I think that there's going to be an interest from Disney because the more eyes they can get on this, the better. This is interesting. It reminds me a little bit. I don't know if anyone had listened to the the previous episode, which was Halloween recommendations with movies found on the Criterion channel. I subscribed to that when it came out. And that was something where it seemed like it was sort of hastily put together a little bit where uh, due to the death of Filmstruck, Criterion Channel launched their own channel instead of using a third party. And at the time of launch, not every service was available. It was, hey, We'll keep you posted. We're hoping to have all the different versions, all the different um, um, releases of these different versions. Eventually, we hope to be on everything. But as of right now, you know, it's pretty much just on your browser. And then day two is, all right, and now we're on Roku. Okay, and now we're on this now. And so slowly uh, but surely eventually got to everything. And, and I'm guessing based on what you've been saying, this is probably going to be the same thing. Yeah, and to be honest, like Disney, Disney started this process more than three years ago, so it's not like it's a surprise. There's definitely been um, dealings behind doors that just didn't go the way either side wanted to go, um, whatever those might be. So I think it's it's at the end of the day, a lot of the the CEOs of these companies sit on boards of these other companies. So there's obviously there's relationships and communication there. Um, so uh, it's just they're going to figure it out, and anybody who feels left out. Uh, is not going to feel left out for long. Hmm, interesting. Um, another interesting thing that you mentioned was how the launch date is the U.S., Canada, and the Netherlands. And it was interesting reading about it that they decided to do a free trial period in the Netherlands in order to see if there's any major bugs and get some uh, user feedback from the get-go before it launched worldwide. Uh, and that's, that's pretty interesting that they've uh, kept Netherlands in basically this tier one launch group because of that. Yeah, I think is entirely they wanted to find. I think they, they were like, let's find a country that 
um, has English as a major language, for one, um, but also has a secondary language. So anything that's available in Dutch, whether it's dubbed or subtitled, will be available at launch for pretty much everything. Um, so I think that was part of it. And they, they probably targeted very early the Netherlands was going to be the free trial. Um, they didn't advertise it much. It just people just stumbled upon it. Um, and so I think because of that, they couldn't just hold out on the Netherlands um, into basically March, which is when the rest of most of the rest of Western Europe is going to get um, Disney Plus. The other thing is, and the key thing which is surprising about Canada is that a lot of Europe, especially the UK, has a lot of really all over the place licensing agreements for existing stuff. So um, Sky, which I think is still owned by News Corp, the former Fox, um, and a couple other of the the big um, TV companies like the 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 Rogers and Bells of, the, of of that part of the world have licensing agreements for much of Disney stuff. So I think that they they are working their way through those agreements, and I think that's part of what they've been spending the last three years doing. But a country like the Netherlands may not have the same depth of agreements and they're able to just jump jump right in. Well, we knew as far as licensing agreements goes in North America, it was pretty big news. Basically, any time in the last two plus years, you'd see a, a Disney movie where uh, in the U.S. it wasn't showing up on Netflix and Canada was the only place where you can get the new Star Wars pretty much uh, in the world for Netflix because they had signed pre-existing agreements prior to the conception of Disney Plus. And it was one of those things where it's like, that's great. You enjoy your new Star Wars movies, but on this date and this year, it is coming off the surface because that is the exact day that the contract ends and we're pulling it in preparation for Disney Plus. Yeah, and that's actually in in Canada, especially um, all the Star Wars movies will be on Disney Plus in Canada, even if some of them are still on Netflix. I think just they were able to work it out. Disney has a lot of money, but in both Canada and the U.S., a lot of the MCU movies are going to take a little while because those agreements were quite um, big dollar signs, especially for Netflix or Hulu or other partners. Um, so, which is funny because Disney's goal is to basically have the whole MCU, the whole Star Wars universe, basically all of their contained universes centralized there um and i think that that's going to be that's going to play out interestingly for fox movies because many fox movies are not in the disney plus target so those might find their way to hulu but still have their own agreements they need to figure out especially in the early days of the marvel cinematic universe movies it basically was someone wants to give us money here have this movie enjoy and they it was it's been really an ongoing issue with marvel that dates back to the 90s when they basically were completely bankrupt and almost ceased to exist where they were just like you're gonna give us five bucks here have this character oh you want to give us a little bit of money enjoy the rights to this movie in perpetuity in perpetuity 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 thank you very much um <laughs> And so it, it really is starting to look like it's uh, biting them in the butt a little bit here as they are like looking at like the second Iron Man movie is not available. The third Captain America movie is not available. And so it's like so PC because it's all over the place due to these weird rights agreements. And that's that's bringing it back to the Canada thing. Um, a lot, basically Canada only has one major Canadian, like homegrown streamer, and that's Crave. And Crave has done very well for itself by eating the former Show Me, um, the, or the late Show Me, um, and also kind of aligning with, with the HBO and Showtime, kind of how they do their streaming in Canada as well. And so they don't bother with it, with much original programming beyond, beyond a handful of admittedly great shows, um, like Letterkenny. But um, their license agreements are are pretty strong, too. There's a lot of TV shows and movies that they sort of have um, so the, a good example is CBS All Access, which has been in Canada for over a year now. They are not allowed to show Star Trek in Canada, which is their main show for many years because um, Bell already has those deals through Crave and through the what is now called CTV Sci-Fi Channel. So um, it's it's very interesting. Disney, I wouldn't be surprised if Disney just went straight to Bell and said, whatever you own, here's a huge chunk of money and we're going to cut these contracts short. Um, and they probably did the same to Netflix in Canada and Netflix in Canada probably used their more net worldwide power to say, okay, here's what we'll give you now. Here's what we'll just wait for the contract to end. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it will definitely be interesting to see how the next six months goes. I think as far as the launch from the get-go, what's going to be in the catalog, they probably have enough to sustain them for at least you know six months to a year while everyone sort of digs through 
it's like, great, I can watch these movies from the last two or three years, but also sort of rediscovering movies that they maybe haven't seen in 20 years or even movies that they've never seen before. Uh, like, I wouldn't say I'm, I'm, I'm neither a Disney fanatic nor am I Disney indifferent. Growing up, you know, what's the easiest thing to be babysat by is throwing a, a Disney cartoon into the VHS uh, into the VCR, sorry, and uh, and let that babysit you for the next hour and a half, two hours, whatever it is. Uh, but I, for the most part, I haven't seen any of these since I was a kid, so I'd definitely be interested to see maybe which ones stand up, which ones don't, uh, which ones really are classics, or is it just sort of uh, my memory playing tricks on me? Oh, for sure. I think that's, like, at the end of the day, no one is giving up all of their streaming services for Disney Plus. Disney Plus is priced right in that range of being supplemental. For me, it's Netflix, and all I have is Netflix and Amazon Prime. And I have Amazon Prime because I use it for all of its other perks. There's only a handful of things on, on Prime Video that, I, that I'm thrilled about. So I'm not dumping one of those to get Disney Plus. So there's enough other options. But for me, being a bit of like I'm interested in a lot of Disney history, there is a lot of early stuff that I would have either never seen or hasn't seen in a long time that's going to pop up there. I will plug this one because it's both horrifying and amazing. 1985's Return to Oz, one of the weirdest movies Disney ever made, meant to be a direct sequel to Wizard of Oz um, from the 30s, but is not a musical, um, Is completely changes the visual aesthetic, and uses basically the, sc the scariest parts about some of the early Oz books. But it's just a really cool movie, and it's an oddity, and my understanding is it'll be there day one. And that's un until the Blu-ray came out a few years ago, that movie was really hard to find. So... There is definitely stuff there, um, but it's true. It's going to be the vehicle for someone like my brother to be able to put on Frozen every single day and then Frozen 2 when that comes on the service. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what the key demographics are that are actually utilizing it. Obviously, children cannot pay for Disney+, Plus, but are they the targeted viewers? And are they going to be able to get that sort of information from their customers? Are they going to be sending out surveys and asking who is the primary viewer of these? What sort of things are they watching? Is there going to be different accounts like Netflix has? Do you know if that's going to be happening? My understanding is that there will be profiles. So they, they'll have profiles like Netflix does, and they'll also have um, four screens simultaneous. So it, it really, it's very well tailored for, for families. If parents want to watch The Mandalorian and then give an iPad to their kid and put uh, cars on the iPad, they can both be using D Plus at the same time. So, But you're right, it's a good point. They're, they're going to make assumptions on the viewers based on what they're watching, for sure, because that's what Netflix does. But I think that they are going to try to find ways to really get a sense, like, is this... Uh, two full-time working parents who are uh, who are millennials with young young kids. Some are at home, some are at school, and that's what their audience is. Then in two three years, we're going to see some of the development of programming gearing towards that. But they've already kind of shown their cards. A lot of their original programming, I'd say at least half, is designed for an older audience. Mm -hmm. Yeah, looking at what they're doing, especially with all the Star Wars stuff, we're going to get into this a little bit later, but it does seem to be geared more towards the same audience that they direct most of the MCU movies at. And I don't just mean because of all the MCU TV shows that they will also be doing. It just sort of seems to be that similar demographic of uh, young male in his late teens to early 20s sort of thing. Exactly. And, and to be honest, it's who else are you going to go after that has expendable income, not a huge amount, but enough to, to in the States, it's 70 bucks a year. For most people, that's not that it's nothing, but that's the same price. I think that's the same price or a bit lower than Prime anyway. So it's just sort of, it, it's an easy sell for, for an audience that already has multiple devices in their home. Um, even if they're only, even if they're living on their own, they might put on three different Disney things at the same time. I can, I can sort of, I can definitely see uh, you know, that we haven't talked about it yet, but there's going to be the ability to download content to watch offline uh, on road trips or, you know, if you're flying somewhere, give each of your kids a tablet uh, with a different Disney movie queued up or a series that they could watch and, and allow your kids to kind of go ham on that. Exactly. And, and also it's there's the opportunity like you. So one of the things um, 
I think Netflix has unlocked this now, but at the beginning of Netflix's ability to download on mobile devices, you couldn't download everything, whereas Disney is, Disney's already said everything is downloadable. Um, but there was a bit of a mix-up in, in news in the last couple of weeks. There was a misunderstanding that you could download something, and if it's taken off the service, you can keep the download. That's not true. It's the same thing Netflix does. If you have the download, but the show, show or movie is gone from the service, the download also disappears. Um, but one of the things that they have said is that for the most part, Disney doesn't plan on taking much off the service, which does remind me, uh, which goes into our next topic of the, the very famous Disney vault. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One, one last point about that is I was surprised that that was even a news item that people had to consider that, yeah, of course, if something is no longer on the service that you're not going to get to keep it, that's how cloud-based storage works. It was just uh, Bob Iger was on a call with I think it was Vanity Fair and he the way he was talking about whatever the phrasing was made it sound like he said even if something's off the surface you can watch it anytime and he had to correct he had to correct it two or three days later so that's it, it wouldn't have come up because every streaming service operates that way. All right, so I'll let you get to the point that you were you were trying to get to before I interrupted you. Sure, yeah. Um, so if, for anyone not familiar with the Disney Vault, it was uh, it was an idea that started in the late '80s, early '90s um, when Disney. Sort of the boom in, in Disney VHS um, was really hitting where uh, obviously it was the Disney Renaissance, better movies were coming out in the animated sphere, and they were finding that uh, home for the first time, home media, which had been around already for 15 years in other formats and in early VHS, was really getting popular. And so what they started doing is they they would basically say, oh, we're bringing out Pinocchio, a movie a movie from the 40s on VHS, but it's for a limited time. Um, and it was it's very much, I mean. My understanding of the idea of the vault was that if if 30 million people wanted a VHS of Pinocchio, they would get it. It's not that there was only 10 million made or 2 million made. It was sort of just they would make them, and then they would ask retailers to to take them off the shelves at a certain date, which many did not, and they just sold out. So that's that's what would happen, and that has really carried through um, to today with with um, classic Disney movies, and even even not as classic. I'd say Little Mermaid is a it's a 30 year old movie, um, and that's been in the vault now three times since since DVDs have started coming, um, and so it was a really it's a very smart move for them because it means collectors like myself need to wait and kind of keep an eye on Disney as the company and go to the stores and look at the flyers to see when the movies are coming out in the new in the new format or just when it's out for the first time for instance um their very ill-begotten 80s movie the black cauldron which is one of my favorite Disney movies I won't recommend it because it's not great um has never been released on blu-ray and so there's a lot of clamoring for that to happen. Well, no surprise, it's going to be available on HD on Disney+. Plus. It'll likely be the DVD's version. But um, So basically what I'm saying is that almost all of Disney's movies that have ever been part of the Vault program will just be on Disney+. Plus. It's basically like they don't need the Vault anymore. It's interesting because I have actually read that it the, the Vault actually caused a decline in interest in a significant number of the films because without these movies being readily available at all times, people just didn't know about them. And so if you're only releasing them once a generation or so, uh, you have people who do not grow up with it. And so when it would come out, they would have no interest. They would have no sort of reference point for it in it, they would just never buy it or watch it because of the, the vault. Exactly. So it created an artificial scarcity, which then didn't pay off. But the difference was they were counting on on boomers um, who grew up like who were little children when Sleeping Beauty came out um, and saying, oh, my goodness, Sleeping Beauty, I need to introduce this to my kid. Um, and I think that that going into the early 2000s, into the mid 2000s, so DVD and then Blu-ray and all the various special editions, it was starting to lose its appeal. And what is left instead is sort of just, it's not as big of a deal when like uh, Snow White came out again, a, a new remaster a few years ago is the I think the signature collection is what it's called now. And people didn't really care that much. And the reason for that, I, I will say, this is a bit of a tangent, but um, Disney was probably one of the best Laserdisc makers in the 80s and 90s. They created, they, it was sort of the precursor to their first kind of DVDs where they were, um, full of special features. They actually did letterboxing, so they were widescreen animated films, which was super rare for home media at the time. Um, and once the DVD started coming, I remember my first Lion King DVD, 
was a two-disc DVD, and the second disc had had something like six hours of special features, all made specifically for that disc. Um, they were all brand new. And then as the Blu-rays and the later DVDs, it was just repeating, repeating, repeating. And I have a Pocahontas Blu-ray where it's a special feature from the first DVD, and then a different special feature from the second DVD, but nothing new on the Blu-ray. So that was something they were trying to do is, oh, it's such a big deal. We've restored Bambi, for instance. Here's all these features and all this cool stuff. But later on with the vault, it's sort of just, hey, you can buy this now. Mm-hmm. I think the point of that story was, did you have a Laserdisc player? I did not. Um, I very much considered it. Um, I, I would highly recommend uh, searching searching the special edition Laserdisc of Pocahontas from the 90s. Um, it's not the regular colorful cover. There's like a, an, a very rare, very beautiful deluxe Laserdisc that they made, part of their Masterpiece collection. So I was just super fascinated by it. But I've read a lot about the fact that they, they were the ones... Other companies were doing special features too, but they really put effort into making laser discs that had special features of their animated movies. Okay, I thought you were bearing the lead there on me. No, do you know how expensive laser disc machines are in 2019? <laughs> in- incredibly. I th- I thought it meant like you had one when you were growing up or something. Uh, I think my dad would have loved to, and I think that um, he wouldn't have let us use it. So, <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, I think, interesting, the one thing that we know for sure will not be on Disney+, and will never be on Disney+, and not due to rights, is uh, Song of the South, which Disney has confirmed will not be there. And for anyone that has never heard of it, it is the incredibly racist movie about the post-Civil War uh, South about black people still living and working on plantations. If you uh, know about this movie or are curious about it, uh, the great uh, Karina Longworth is doing a series on her show, You Must Remember This. She just came back from a very long hiatus, and this is her latest season is delving into both the creation and why it's being buried by Disney. So if you are curious about Song of the South, you should definitely listen to that as well. Um, is that and- a movie that you are familiar with sammy i've seen most of it um through channels that are not entirely legal because it is it, it's it's pretty much my understanding is that disney has like a digital copy in their in their actual vault and they will never let it see the see the light of day but there's been enough that gets out um that that is that is findable i guess is the way to say it um but uh, it is the source of zippity zippity doodah which is a song that disney still uses for some things and i think they just let people assume it comes from another source. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I would have never expected Song of the South um, or, or even they're going to put Mickey cartoons on there eventually. I don't th- expect any of the early ones where Mickey is basically chain smoking and being racist for the whole six minutes of the, of the short, which I've also seen. Um, they're not going to release that because Disney has an image and that's just what they're going to do. Yes, and Walt's frozen body will not allow that to happen. There, I mean, that, that's the joke of why they named Frozen Frozen is that when people looked up uh, Disney Frozen, that's the movie would be the first thing that comes up. <laughs> I've never heard that joke, but that's a great yeah, it's, one. It's a, it's a good urban legend. I don't think it's entirely true. <laughs> yeah, you know, we'll just let them have that one. <laughs> exactly. All right. We're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we are going to discuss some specific TV shows that will be appearing on the Disney Plus platform. Is the world more peaceful since the revolution? It is a shame that your people suffered. But bounty hunting is a complicated profession. All right, so we talked about what the technical specification is, the price, what will and won't be there due to rights issues and licensing agreements and a whole bunch of other fun stuff. But there's actually going to be a whole bunch of original content that will be appearing on the Disney Plus network. And I'm excited to talk about this. I'm very excited to talk, talk about it for sure. Um, now, this is going to be interesting because we've got shows that are connected to movies we have stuff that's completely on its own what exactly are we making of this uh slate that we know about so far uh the number one thing is that this is 
this is targeted for TV. I mean, it's a it's a TV platform, even though Disney constantly calls it uh, a streaming pro- or a streaming or direct to consumer um, product. But it's the focus is TV, and I think that for a what is originally a movie company, the there there's a handful of movies coming out at the beginning. Lady and the Tramp is one of them. I have basically no interest in it because it looks fine. Um, it really looks like they're not like they are making a lot of movies, and I will say they're mostly remakes of earlier reboots of earlier things they've done or obscure sequels you didn't think you needed but you do like sister act three which i'm very excited for um but uh but really the focus is on really quite fascinating original tv instead of uh, a lot of original films um and i think that they know that that's the case is someone's not going to pay for a monthly thing to see a movie yes they might do it so because i mean disney plus will get avengers endgame before basically anywhere else gets it uh, w- would would have gotten it for streaming because it's already out for on home releases um, and future MCU movies will come to Disney plus much sooner um, than movies would have come to Netflix so yes that's a draw but at the end of the day it's it's Disney's putting putting their money where their mouth is on people's TVs and putting lots of money into TV a, a whole bunch of TV shows and I think I mentioned this to you before I think it's funny that we're we're on a movie podcast but we're talking about TV shows that are essentially as it is the golden age of TV their own kind of movies. Mm-hmm. We also know that, correct me if I'm wrong, you can technically cancel anytime you want if you are going month to month. Um, is that is that correct? That is true. Okay. And so much like as we've seen with people in the United States that subscribe to HBO Go, who are only subscribing during the months that Game of Thrones was on, or Netflix during the, the Marvel TV show heyday, you are having people that would subscribe for a few months and then drop the service and then pick up the next time the season rolled around. And then during that time period that they would have it for a month, two months, whatever it is, they would binge watch everything that they had missed for the rest of the year. But as companies sort of grow, they realize that in order to entice people, you really need to be releasing uh, a staggering amount of content at a very steady stream. That way, it never is an inconvenience to uh, unsubscribe, and that way you're always having things. And so it'll be interesting because they're throwing so much money into these TV shows. How exactly is this going to work? Because right now we only really know about a handful of uh, more—I I don't want to say adult shows, but shows that are not geared directly for children, the sort of G-rated programming. We know that there's going to be a whole bunch of that, which frankly doesn't interest me in the slightest, but these bigger budget, more uh, mature affair looks like it's going to be a little bit further and far between. I think that at the end of the day, as I was saying earlier, is that the, the one thing is that they're not doing seasons. Like, I saw a great comment about this. Like Stranger Things 3 came out, and it all came out at once. And a week later, no one was talking about it because everybody saw it. And so Mandalorian, being probably the biggest show to come out of, of this and to come out kind of in this fall, is over. Is going to basically take us through November 12th right, right up through to New Year's. So people will be talking about it on a long-term basis. I think they very much have a goal of having something to keep people keep pulling people back and less of the like to be honest if someone's really keen on some of the stuff launching on day one they're not going to get it day one and then then get rid of it they'll probably keep it but there will definitely be people that might jump in next summer do it for a month watch all the the stuff they want to see and then skip it again um the reason i think the quote-unquote more adult stuff or the the kind of more star wars and all that is um this is still mostly a family service this is for people who have kids and they want enough on the service so that the parents, when the kids go to bed, have something to watch, too. Um, really, like, when you look at their schedule, they, they ideally are having something new start probably every one or two weeks, which Netflix is the same. They pretty much have a new show almost every week or a new season or a half season or whatever or a new movie. Um, but Disney is the Disney brand. So when you look at all the shows they have coming up, it's, oh, it's Marvel. I know those characters or I know, I know what this is getting at. Or, or when you look at a bunch of the, the stuff that they have coming kind of down the line, you can immediately be like, okay, I, I know what that is. That's a sequel or that's something I've seen before. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I I'm very interested to see how how that's all really gonna play out based on the way you are projecting it. Um, but really, the the sort of big get is the Mandalorian, where they really are staking a ton on their reputation on this service of this being a hit. 
and based on the trailers that they've released, it looked basically better than anything that has come out of the Star Wars universe in the last few years, depending on what your thoughts are on, on some of the movies where I've been uh, sort of so-so on them as a whole. This looks better than, than anything we've seen before. It, it tackles uh, much more in-depth subject matter that we're not used to we're getting new angles of things and it looks like it's actually going to be kind of gritty which is really interesting for me and uh, based on early reviews this is going to be the hit that disney is really hoping it's going to be oh for sure i to be honest i bet this is what happened disney bought lucas lucas arts and bought star wars and the next day they said, we are going to make a TV, like a live action TV show, and it's going to live somewhere where no one else can get it. Um, this is one of those things where for sure, like I was saying, they've been working on this in, in earnest for three years. This was the first thing they came up with. They went to the the Lucas Art, Lucasfilm story group and said, we need something good. Um, we need something different. We need something that draws people. And one of the first, the smartest things they did, this is literally the only visual um, kind of major visual content, so not a movie uh, essentially, that is set between uh, Return of the Jedi and, and Force Awakens. So they're drawing people who are looking at, a, it's the 30-year period between. There's tons of books, there's a couple of the animated shows, there's definitely comics, but this is po poking at an area that fans are really eager, eager to look at, and I think they knew they had to do something a little different. It, it couldn't look like a Star Wars story. But what I do find really interesting about it too is that the budget for the eight episode first season is lower than than any of the last few disney movies so around the 120 million dollar mark which means that they like they i mean i'll, I'll hand it to john favreau because he knows how to make make stuff not as expensive and look amazing but they really tried to make this something where they could build the sets have all this stuff and know that it's going to be a hit and just keep doing it for as long as they can we already know there's a second season coming mm-hmm uh, and I think most interesting is the the caliber of talent that they attracted to this. I look at the cast list, and it stars Pedro Pascal, and it's got uh, uh, Gina Carino, Nick Nolte, and Giancarlo Esposito, and Carl Weathers, and for some reason, Werner Herzog and Bill Burr as well, which is probably the two most shocking people that you can expect in a tar Star Wars show. One, Bill Burr said years ago in stand-up that he would never get anywhere near the Star Wars universe, no matter how how much he was paid and lo and behold i guess he had a real number and Werner herzog who is alternatively known for being one of the greatest documentarians and also for being one of the most polarizing directors in film history so another thing all like i agree i mean Werner herzog alone is just kind of his voice is amazing in the in the recent trailer but um it's sort of yeah it really is that they they they, uh, what I see about this that I really like, and this is something that the MCU does, is that, that it's very purposeful. It doesn't feel like they had an idea for a space show, and then they made it a Star Wars show. Is that they really were like, this is what we want to do. We want it to be good. Here are the right people to play these roles. Even if you look at uh, on Wikipedia, it lists the directors of the eight episodes. These are all... I'm not going to say real, but these are these are film directors and people who know their material well. Um, Taika Waititi, of course, is going to be amazing. But Dave D Dave Filoni is doing two episodes. He's the one uh, who basically ran uh, the a lot of the recent Star Wars animated shows that have their own kind of massive following as well. Um, and you have John Favreau kind of taking on writing duties for the pilot and sort of managing the story throughout. Um, I think that they they really have tried as hard as as possible to really make this something that's eminently watchable without having to deal with any of the let's get Luke in there and let's go all these other characters. I don't think we're going to see a single major cameo in the whole season. We might see a droid in the background we, we recognized or something like that, but I think that they're going to focus this as its own thing, but still very firmly in the universe. And as a Star Wars fan who frankly is sick and tired of the Skywalker storylines, I welcome this change. Oh, absolutely. Uh, now, the next major show that looks like it's going to be there right from the get-go is uh, The World According to Jeff Goldblum. And if you've seen the trailer, basically the plot is Jeff Goldblum does Jeff Goldblum things starring Jeff Goldblum. And what I find also really awesome about this is part of the Fox deals that Disney got um, National Geographic TV. And they're basically billing this as a, as a National Geographic TV show because National Geographic is one of the kind of channels under the disney plus umbrella so i think that's amazing they just sort of it was probably just like hey jeff goldblum here's a film crew want to go travel yeah yeah absolutely <laughs> this it's is gonna be it's gonna be the family family friendly version of um 
Anthony Bourdain show. Oh, okay. Yeah. Way. <laughs> yeah. This is this is this is either gonna be a show that you absolutely love or you will not click on it to save your life or you last thirty seconds and give up sort of thing. Lately Jeff Goldblum has become so polarizing uh in the world where it's you're gonna be one side or the other. You're not gonna casually just throw this on in the background. Oh, definitely not. No, this is this is this is not a marquee show unless you love Jeff Goldblum, which I do and I know you do. So for us, this is something we're going to watch very mm-hmm. early on. But mm-hmm. that's the thing: the documentary they they're cornering a market that that Netflix is really late to the game on because recently they've gotten a lot more of, of these kinds of more fun and interesting and personable documentaries instead of as much as I love nature documentaries. You can't have too you shouldn't have too many of them. This is a show that like I will be likely watching every episode each night while I cook dinner because that's the type of show it is. Mhm. Yeah. Um, and then something that was sort of notable for me, I know I kind of earlier brushed off a lot of the original content that's going to be geared directly for kids. We are going to get some Pixar content with a Monsters Inc. spinoff called Monsters at Work, uh, which is about basically a, a true sequel to Monsters Inc. Because there's Monsters University, which was a prequel. But this is, if you remember, the end of Monsters Inc., they realize that laughter powers the city better than screams do. And so this is basically how does the world adjust to the new power source that they use. And they've got the whole cast is there. It's going to be John Goodman and Billy Crystal and John Ratzenberger and Jennifer Tilly and a whole bunch of other people that weren't in the original movies. I think it's going to be more so that Goodman and Crystal are secondary characters where they probably, the two of them showed up and maybe did a couple hours of voiceover work and they'll appear in five minutes per episode because it really seems like it's going to be more on the larger scale. How does this city actually work? Yeah, and I mean, even though it's family-friendly fair, I'm super excited for it. I mean, Monsters, Inc. came out close to 20 years ago at this point. So the people that were younger and got really into it, they are older. They they may have kids or they may just be interested in it. And I agree that this is – it's interesting to see a, a show that is very much a, a, a pure sequel. There's not a ton of Pixar uh, – original Pixar content other than a bunch of shorts on the docket for, for Disney+. Plus. So I think they really were just like, this is what we want to do first and then go from there. But what I really like about it is that it really reminds me of the early 90s um, ABC morning, uh, like Sunday morning um, Disney cartoons. So uh, Aladdin, Timon and Pumbaa's show, um, The Little Mermaid show, even the one they made for Emperor's New Groove. So that the movies were big hits, and then they made a couple seasons of a, of a Sunday morning cartoon show that was kind of like a, a very mild follow-up sequel-y type thing um, and I was super into those because it's just they're comfortable characters and they were really some of them were very clever um, so this is sort of in the spirit of that but I think it's gonna be a lot stronger I feel like it's gonna be a a somewhat sitcom but still sort of serialized um, animated show it'll be interesting to see what the quality is like animation wise because we've come to expect Pixar you know regardless of how fantastic their stories are Every movie, they basically go, what's something that can be completely reinvented this time around? Great, that's what we're going to do in this movie, whether it's the way water looks or texturing or the hair on characters or, or different things like that where they would point out something that hasn't been revolutionized for a while and instantly make it look be the best looking thing that you've ever seen are they going to carry that over to the tv show side of things as well or is it going to be more generic computer generated animation make make no mistake the uh this is not being the show's not being made by by pixar it'll probably be made by pixar animators but it is a disney television animation show and i think that it's going to have the spirit of that so the quality is going to be amazing but it's not going to be Pixar quality, and I think even the running themes, like they're going to, they're obviously going to work with the the original team that made the for the the both movies really, um, to kind of have the world come together. But in my opinion, I think it's going to be it's going to be a strong show, but it's going to, it's not a Pixar movie, and that's mm-hmm. for sure. Interesting. Uh, and then I think the last two big ones that I really want to touch on are two more Star Wars shows that are coming up, and it really seems to be that. 
The Mandalorian looks like it's going to be a hit, and it's going to make people even more excited for them. Uh, the first one is Cassian Andor, which is a pre-Rogue One TV show, which is going to follow the characters uh, that Diego Luna and Alan Tudyk played. Alan Tudyk obviously played a voiced robot, but so it's going to center around Luna, and that's going to be really interesting. That you're you're basically pulling in the stars of the movies, much like how these Marvel TV shows are doing uh, and allowing them to have long form uh, character arcs that we haven't seen before and the likes like this. Yeah, I think that it's it's they're, they're, the Cassian Andor show is going to do uh, a really good job of just sort of being like, um, it's just going to be kind of a fun, it's almost like a, a Han Solo show in a way, just with characters we don't know as much about and something we can have more fun with. And at the end of the day, we know how their story ends. So that's that's going to be fun and i think it's a smart move to sort of just say there will be a star v- star wars tv show basically at least once a year probably more mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah it looks like probably pitching it to someone like diego luna who is a very active film actor uh look we're probably only going to do this for maybe a year or two and then when it ends it basically uh leaves off right where rogue one is going to start so there's no commitment and exactly for who hasn't seen rogue one uh i'm sorry i'm about to spoil it literally everyone dies in it without a joke everyone my fa- dies my favorite type of when I, whenever people ask how the movie ends any movie i always say everyone dies and this time it's true um and i but I, that's exactly what it is i think it's one two seasons even if it's a huge hit great they take the dna of that and put it somewhere else with other characters there's so many side side characters and side stories and side universes to be honest even even the official books, a lot of them are ripe for, for turning into, into TV shows or movies if they really wanted to. There was even a, a video game in the works a few years ago called Star Wars 1313, and that was sort of like underground in one of the bigger kind of metropolis-like planets. So there was no Skywalkers, no Jedis, no Stormtroopers. It was sort of what is life like under the surface in the Star Wars universe. That would make a great TV show as well. I'll have you know I make the everyone dies joke all the time too. We should do a movie review episode and just say and only talk about movies where everyone dies. I I think that might only last maybe one or two uh, episodes. Oh, I expect to be just one episode. That's totally fine. (laughs) Uh, All right. And then, as I mentioned, there are two big Star Wars TV shows um, coming out after The Mandalorian. And the real, real big one, one that people have wanted for a very long time, is an Obi-Wan Kenobi show starring Ewan McGregor. Everyone hated the prequels. That's not true. Some people only mildly dislike them. But the one thing almost everyone can agree on is Ewan McGregor did a damn fine job with the work that with the with the script and the sets and everything else that George Lucas, you know, threw in his way as an obstacle. He did the best he could under those circumstances. And so he's gonna come back and I think everyone's really excited. And it's about eight years after Revenge of the Sith. So it's gonna be really interesting to see how that all place together where what has he done since the the sort of the creation of Darth Vader and we probably will actually see Darth Vader as a character and it'll be really interesting but the the important thing is Ewan McGregor who has long wanted to come back into the fold of the Star Wars universe is back yes I think it's um well uh, originally the the what people understood was that this was Obi-Wan was going to be maybe the third uh, Star Wars story bookending um, the the last uh, Skywalker movie this this winter. Um, and then once the Solo wasn't as successful, even though it made a ton of money, it wasn't as successful as Disney wanted, um, the idea was shelved. And I think almost right away, I wouldn't be surprised if he, even Ewan McGregor himself was working with them saying, let's still make this happen. Like there's, there's still stories to tell. The joke people keep making is that, do we really want to see six episodes of um, Obi-Wan in the desert? And I think that's not what we're going to see at all. I don't think we're going to even see him on Tatooine at all because even though he plays up in in uh, a new hope he plays up he's been a hermit he's been watching um the family and all this and and uh like watching Luke and all that but I honestly I think it's going to just be like he there's there's stuff happening in the universe the way the way the I remember as a kid watching A New Hope and being like, oh, this is kind of like a simple chosen one story. Kid from one planet goes to another planet, problem solved. Obviously, it's not that. But um, I think that there's a lot of potential there. But I agree that he's the best part of the prequels. And there are parts of the prequels I do like. Um, And I think that this is this almost as like Mandalorian is kind of an unknown quantity, whereas Obi-Wan is going to be a show that 
if Disney ever has a month where they get a ton of new subscribers, that's going to be the month. Mm -hmm. I think the real question for this is, will James Earl Jones be involved? They will always find a way. <laughs> um, both Cassian Andor and Obi-Wan Kenobi will not be coming out tentatively until 2021. Obviously, release dates could change. Monsters at Work is not expected to come out until next year in 2020. I'm sure sometime after The Mandalorian drops, we're going to get a whole slate of other TV shows, probably smaller budget that's going to be easier to do a turnaround time as far as shooting um, doing post-production uh, work and throwing it up on the, the platform that we will probably get very little notice. They probably have stuff in the works right now that they haven't told us about as well. Netflix is, is, is pretty big for that, you know, now it's hard to hide that Stranger Things is is filming their next season already. But in the past, it was like, surprise, in two weeks, there's going to be a new season of a show that you forgot about. So I'll be interested to see if Disney Plus does a similar route as well. I think what they'll be doing is um, they'll definitely be doing that because it, it works super well because it's, it's kind of a thank you to the, to the subscribers. Um, I think we're going to also see like, we're gonna we're gonna see some of these things where like on the, at the end of the last episode of the Mandalorian, you're probably gonna see a, a title card uh, before the credits saying the Mandalorian will return because we know it's been renewed. Um, so we're gonna see I think a few more of those. Like you watch a show and already there's a pop up saying "Stay tuned, this is what's what's coming next." Um, but with the Marvel shows, I feel like what we're gonna see is a lot fewer of those being like I don't think we'll see a Falcon and Winter Soldier season two. Um, I think a lot of these are c- kind of gonna be structured as their own. They're essentially just longer movies where they can tell more story. Maybe the sequel series to that is Winter Soldier on his own or something. Um, so it will be interesting to see what they do. But they have so much in the background to work from. And they also have Fox to start working on now. So there's only one Fox series in, in development. And that's um, uh, it's sort of a sequel slash adaptation of the movie Love, Simon. Um, and that's probably coming further down the pipe. But I think in a few years we'll see a bit more kind of Fox reboots or Fox Fox adjacent stuff. Because they do, I mean, in, in the last 30 years of their TV history, they do have quite a bit of stuff that could easily apply for this audience. It doesn't need to go right to Hulu. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how they how they take up on that. Well, I'm not going to be a day one subscriber, but I know the next time I'm at your place, I'm probably going to ask you to boot it up to show me what it's like. And maybe that'll sell me on wanting to subscribe myself. I would be happy to, and I'll let you know how amazing The Mandalorian is, and then we'll figure out a way for you to watch it. Fantastic. Well, Sammy, thank you so much for sharing all of your insight and wisdom about both Disney as a whole and the upcoming Disney Plus platform. Also, I want to give a thank you to Eric and Kevin Smale for doing the theme music. Uh, make sure you follow the show on Instagram and Twitter at ContraZoomPod. If you like the show, give us a rating and review. It always is helpful when that happens. Uh, or drop me an email, ContraZoomPod at gmail.com. Let me know what show you're most looking forward to. What childhood movie that you haven't seen in 15, 20, 30 years do you want to check out? And uh, if I get any feedback, I'll make sure to share it. Uh, And also, if you have not already listened to the Marvel Cinematic Universe episode, I will link to that in the show notes as well. Thank you so much for listening. Mm -hmm.